Well, amen. Thank you, Pastor Gary. You know, along with everything Pastor Gary just shared, it seems like there's so many things that surround us that threaten to fill us with despair or with fear or with stress, with anxiety, with discouragement. And that's why we kicked off this year with this series that we're calling Undefeated. Undefeated, where in the face of adversity, we who are in Christ can stand undefeated. You know, besides the concern that so many people we know and love are becoming sick or who are suffering or struggling, we're also together faced with rising tensions in our country, right? In light of the violent riots and protests that took place at our nation's capital last week, we have a lot to think about as we head into this coming week. The FBI has received information, has warned that there could be armed protests at every state capital in the United States, including Washington, D.C., our, our, our nation's capital. And so people are bracing themselves because things can get rowdy, things can get violent, and frankly, it could get pretty ugly in these coming days leading up to Joe Biden's inauguration on Wednesday. You know, Ironically, as we think about violent riots and protests, this Monday, we remember the life and we celebrate the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And his life was all about peaceful, nonviolent protests. You know, a lot of us, we know Dr. King as a man of, of, of peace. He was a social activist. He was a civil rights leader. But if you studied the life of Dr. King, like Lewis Baldwin has, he's a professor at the university level. He studied Dr. King's life for over 25 years. And if you, if you study his life, you'll find that Dr. King was a man of deep faith and prayer. And that's one thing Professor Baldwin has tried to help people to see, that, that his convictions didn't come out of nowhere. They didn't come from thin air, but his, his actions and his, 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 his movements came from his devotional life, from his spiritual devotion. Dr. King wrote a letter, you might have read it before, it's a famous letter called The Letter from the Birmingham City Jail. And in that letter, Dr. King writes about four steps in nonviolent action. There are like four pillars to, to bring one to nonviolent action. And interestingly, one of the steps he writes about in that letter is what he calls self-purification. What's self-purification? Well, what Dr. King was referring to was the practice and discipline of prayer and meditation and fasting. How, how does one get himself to be nonviolent when he's so passionate about something? Well, for him, he says, we have to consecrate ourselves through prayer and fasting. And we look at Dr. King's life and his prayer life not only guided him as to what to do and what to fight for, but it also gave him strength and courage to do so. You know, as, as strong as Martin Luther King Jr. presented himself to be, as strong of a public image as he was, as much passion as he had, the truth is there were times when he lived in fear, where he is paralyzed by fear. I would be so too. If I was thrown into jail 29 times, if I was stabbed in the chest, if, if I had my house bombed, I think I too would 
feel fearful at times. And he talks about this one pivotal transform, transformational night in 1956 when he gets another threatening call. Late at night, he gets a call where a racist man on the phone threatened to kill him and to bomb his home. And Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. hung up that phone that night and he was scared. And he came to the end of his rope and he says that night he went to his kitchen and he cried out to God in prayer all night. He just cried out to God. Here's what he said. He wrote this. He prayed to God, Lord, I'm down here trying to do what is right. Now I am afraid. And I can't let the people see me like this because if they see me weak and losing my courage, they will begin to get weak. I am at the end of my powers. I have nothing left, God. I've come to the point where I cannot face it alone. And it is during that night of praying in his kitchen and crying out to God where he said he felt as if the Lord were saying to him, King, stand up. For justice. King, stand up for justice. And his wife, Coretta King, recalls that night. She remembers it vividly. She says, In that moment, she wrote, When Martin stood up from the table, he was imbued with a new sense of confidence and he was ready to face anything. That night changed his life. A few weeks later, his house was bombed. And yet, he refused to be defeated. He refused to live in fear. Today, as we go through this message, I want to equip, equip you with two of the most powerful weapons available to us to help us to stand undefeated even in the face of adversity. And these two weapons are the weapons of a king. They're the weapons of prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. We want to call the church to a prayer and fast, a church-wide prayer and fast. We're calling it Pray for 21. Pray for 21, where for 21 days we're going to pray for this year, 2021. But before we can expect people to fast and to pray, we have to understand why it is we fast. And so today in this message, I want to answer two simple questions. And the two questions are these. What is fasting and when should we fast? What is fasting and when should we do so? So the first question is this, what is fasting? What is fasting? Well, very generally, fasting is when you abstain or limit food intake or anything you love or you desire for the sake of growing spiritually, for spiritual purposes. But before we get deeper into what it is, let me, let me talk a little bit about what it's not what it isn't. Fasting is not a way to make yourself look awesome. That's not what fasting is about because truth be told, there have been times when I heard we were going to fast, like when I used to be in youth group, and there'd be times when I thought in the back of my mind, well, I could shed a few pounds. Like I, I could use a little, little, little uh, less weight right now. I could use some work on my on my image right now. And, and so a lot of times that was an incentive, a motivation for me to, to join in the fast. I don't know what they call that in the Greek, but in English we have a word for that. It's the word diet, 
That's what it is, diet. When you're not eating for the purpose of losing weight, that's what a diet. Now, I know, I, I know we have things called intermittent fasting, which a lot of, a lot of you uh, participate in. It's, it's a popular diet plan these days. I do it myself, where we limit food intake. And, and that's good. That's okay. But let's distinguish dietary fasts from spiritual fast. Both are good. Both are great. But let's separate in our heart and our mind when we're on a diet trying to lose weight and when we're on a spiritual fast trying to, trying to draw near to God. And so, so fasting is not to make yourself look awesome. It's not to make yourself look good physically, nor is it to make yourself look good spiritually. Right, because that could be a wrong motivation in it as well. So if you choose to fast along with us, don't, don't do this. When you talk to other people, don't go to people and be like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I seem a little out of energy and weak, but it's just that, well, I mean, I don't even want to tell you why. Oh, okay, um, I'm fasting, yeah. And uh, it's like, it's hard. I haven't eaten since uh, lunchtime, but I'll be okay. Like, I'm just drawing near to God and pressing into him, and me and God are like this. Don't do that. Don't do that. Jesus tells you don't do that. In Matthew chapter 6, when he talks about fasting, starting in verse 16, he says this. Jesus says, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Surely I say to you, they've received the reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others who seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And so when you fast, don't say it's for the Lord if it's really for you. If this is trying to make yourself look spiritually awesome. Like if your motivation is to be seen and recognized by others, then when they see you because you've blown your trumpets and you've made the announcement that, hey, everybody, I'm fasting, then congratulations, you've achieved your goal. You've achieved your goal. You'll have received your reward in full to be recognized by men. Great job. You've accomplished it. But that's all you're getting. Because Jesus says you're not going to get recognition from the Heavenly Father and you're not going to get the spiritual blessing and you're not going to get the heavenly reward. And the point is, it's not that you can't make known that you're fasting, just don't make it a show. Just don't make it a show. And so here's the bottom line. Fasting is not a way to make yourself look awesome. Rather, fasting is a way to make yourself look at an awesome God. I'll say that again. Fasting is not a way to make yourself look awesome, but fasting is a way to make yourself look at an awesome God. That's, that's what fasting is about. In a world where everything is trying to grab our eyes and grab our focus and grab our attention, fasting is the discipline that helps us to fix our eyes on God. It's all about directing our attention to Him. That's what fasting does. And you'll notice in the Bible that fasting is almost always paired with prayer. It's fasting and prayer. Why? Well, because it's 
where the power is. Prayer is where the power is. Prayer causes us to acknowledge God. Prayer causes us to fix our eyes on God. Prayer causes us to commune with God. Prayer causes us to cry out to God. It makes us acknowledge God. Prayer is where the power is. But fasting helps us to come into a place of power, of prayer. Prayer makes things happen. But fasting makes prayer happen. I'll say that again. I'll put it up for you. Prayer makes things happen. But fasting makes prayer happen. Fasting makes prayer happen. How? Well, let me give you two ways uh, fasting is good for us and helps us to pray. Number one, fasting is a physical reminder. That's what it is. It's a physical reminder. See, because fasting creates this space for us to come before God humbly. It provides a reminder and a reason for us to pray. You know, one of the things I miss about the pre-pandemic days, the pre-COVID days, is when our staff would get together on Tuesday mornings for staff meeting. And we actually would sit around a table and we would go over ministry and plans for the week and the road ahead. And one of the things I miss about it is as we're meeting, uh, when the meeting would start to go long, you would hear this weird sound. It, it sounded like this. It was people's stomachs growling. People's bodily alarm clocks were going off, reminding us that it is time to wrap up. It's lunchtime, and we, we got to finish this meeting. It's crazy. Some of our staff members have ferocious growling stomachs. I'm not going to say whose are the loudest, but we, we, we got some growlers on our staff. But each day, that's what happens, right? Our body tells us when it's time to eat. Our stomach grumbles when it's empty. Our body weakens when it needs fuel. Our, our, our mouth salivates when it's wanting food. So it's hard to go out to go a day without being physically aware, physically reminded that we need to eat, right? Our body constantly tells us. But how many of us can go a day without praying? Let's be honest about that. How many of us can go a day or days without praying? How easy is it to rely on our own strength rather than to call out for the strength of God? How easy is it to lean on our own understanding rather than to seek the wisdom of God? How easy is it to try to succeed based off our own skill rather than rely on the power of the Holy Spirit of God? How easy is that? So easy. So easy, it's scary. How we could go day after day not realizing how much we need God. And so though we may never forget to eat, we can surely be reminded to pray. And this is what I believe at least one reason why fasting and prayer are found together so often. Why? Because when we fast, our body reminds us it's time to eat. And in those moments we're being reminded it's time to eat, we should remind ourselves, no, it's time to pray. When, when we're being reminded it's time to eat, remind yourself in those moments, no, it's time to pray. So prayer makes things happen, but fasting makes 
prayer happen. It's a physical reminder. But also, secondly, if you want to write this down, fasting is also a spiritual expression. Not just a physical reminder, but, but fasting in itself is a spiritual expression. It's expressing to God our deep desperation for him, our great dependence on God. More than anything else we need or anything else we want. It's like, God, I need you. It's around this time last year, one year ago, I remember sharing a story with many of you about a, a, a prayer meeting one Friday night at my old church. as a Bible study. And one of my friends was just praying. His name was John. And I was so impacted by his prayers. So simple yet so profound. To this day, this is about 15, 16 years later, I still remember his prayer. That's why I'm talking about it now, again. But he prayed this. He said, God, help me to prefer you over everything in life. That's all he prayed. And the moment I heard that, I said, man, if there's one prayer I want to pray the rest of my life, that, that, that just might be it. If, God, you would just help me to prefer you over everything in life. If it comes to being popular, accepted by men or accepted by God, I prefer you. If it comes to success and prestige or God, I want to prefer you, God. If it comes to comfort and safety or knowing that I'm in your hands, I prefer you. And when I fast and I have to deny myself from food or the things that I love and crave or, or having you, I want to prefer you. God, I need you more. I want you more. And so it's when we fast and we deny ourselves the very things that our bodies need or love or desire most. It's in those moments that we can express to God, God, no, I prefer you. I choose you. I need you more than anything else my body desires. God, you're everything. And I'm desperate for you and I'm dependent on you. And so here's the reality. When people are hungry, they become desperate for food. And when people fast, they'll become desperate for God. And that is not a bad thing. That is not a bad place to be because Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. How will we not be filled with him and more of him when we hunger and thirst for righteousness? So that, that's what fasting is. It's a physical reminder. It's a spiritual expression now the question is, when should we fast? Like on what occasions, for what reasons should we fast? And it, it, it's, it's pretty amazing. If you search the scriptures, there's many reasons why people fasted. Too much to cover in one message. It, sometimes it was a way of worship. Sometimes it was a means for mourning. Sometimes it was a cry of confession. Sometimes it was a declaration of dependence. Sometimes it, it was desperation for direction. There are many reasons why a person fasted in the Bible. But for the remainder of this time, I, I want to share with you two reasons why we might want to fast, why we actually should fast. Because I believe these reasons are very relevant to what we're going through today. Here's the first. If you want to write this down. We can fast when we're desperate for God's provision, right? When we're desperate for God to provide. Write that down. We fast when we're desperate for God to provide. 
I want to ask you, how many of you right now are in some kind of need? Some kind of need and, and you're running out of hope. Perhaps you're looking for a breakthrough in your business. Maybe you run a business or maybe you need breakthrough in your career. Maybe you need a job opportunity and you don't know where else to turn. Maybe you're longing for someone to marry or you're longing for someone to help save your marriage. Maybe you need freedom, freedom from an addiction or from some bad habits. Maybe freedom from some oppression, maybe from anxiety or depression. What kind of needs do you have right now that maybe only God could provide? I remember I had some good friends um, who were trying very hard for a long time to get pregnant. They haven't had a child yet in their marriage. And, and my friend shared this with me, and I would, I would pray with him, and I would pray for them. And time went on. Time went on. It just seemed like they couldn't get pregnant. And I remember beginning to pray for them so much that it became one of my primary prayer requests. Every time I prayed, I would lift up this couple. God, please just give them a child. Answer their prayers and give them a child. And it felt like a roller coaster ride. It felt like that couple was like in the car in front of me on a roller coaster. And I was in the car behind them attached. But, but whenever they thought they might be pregnant and, and, and their emotions soared, it felt like I soared with them. But when it turned out that they weren't, my heart sunk along with them. And it, it felt like a, a roller coaster ride. An emotional up and down kind of journey. And it came to a point where I was praying for, for them so desperately that personally, I, I thought to myself, I think I need to just fast and pray. I think I just, in my desperation for them, on their behalf, fast and pray so that God would provide that something would ha happen. And I think I, I, I get this from the scriptures because there's times in the Bible when, when people in the Bible fasted and prayed when they were desperate for something to happen, for, for God to provide in a way that only God could provide. Hannah, in the book of 1 Samuel, she was barren. She too couldn't have a child. And she was so desperate in 1 Samuel chapter 1, it says that she would go to the temple to seek the Lord and she refused to eat. She just fasted and sought out the Lord through prayer. And as she did so, here's how the Lord responded. 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 20. It says, and in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked him from the Lord. I have asked for him from the Lord. And here's testimony right here that prayer makes things happen and fasting makes prayer happen. So what do you need right now that you're desperate to God for? Maybe your desperate plea to God right now is that he would provide some kind of healing. Maybe you or someone you know needs healing from COVID or cancer. Maybe from depression or anxiety. Maybe from emotional sadness. Maybe from demonic oppression even. Spiritual attacks. What do you need from God? How do you need him to provide? You know, King David in the Bible, another great man in the Bible, he came to a place where he was desperate for God's healing. Not, not for himself, but we learn about his desperation for his son, his sick and dying son. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 16, it says that David therefore sought God on behalf of the child. And David fasted and went in 
and lay all night on the ground. And so David, so desperate for the life of his son, for God to heal his son, it says he would go and he'd beg God by his child's side. He would fast, he would refuse to eat, and he would pray, God, heal my son, restore his life, to the point where the elders and and, and the men of his household would come and say, David, get up. Get up and eat. You're a king. You got a feast. Or you yourself, you're going to be sick. You're going to get weak. You're going to starve. You might die. Come on, Dave, get up. And Dave goes, no, I I cannot. I refuse to get up from this posture of prayer. I'm begging for the life of my son. And so David was desperate for God to provide. And he couldn't help but to fast and to pray. We all have needs as individuals as a church, as a nation, we all have needs. So my question is, will you pray for 21? Let's bring it together before the Lord for these next 21 days. Will you pray for 21? So that's one occasion for praying. When we're desperate for God to provide, here's another reason for, for fasting. When we're desperate for God to protect. We can fast when we're desperate for God to protect. Now, how many of you guys ever felt fear for your well-being, threatened? I remember I was in middle school, uh, Madrona Middle School right here in Torrance, and I remember it was lunchtime, and I was sitting with my friends around the lunch table. Uh, we weren't very cool at all, not the popular kids by any means, and we are just eating our, 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 our lunches and our sandwiches, and one, one uh, tough guy in the school, his name was Danny, uh, he comes over to our table. He's one of the cool, popular kids, and... He, he would come and take some of our lunches every once in a while, just a bite, nothing mean, just, hey, can I get some food? And so we would share with him, and he, he said to the guy next to me, the guy next to me, his name was Steve, and he asked Steve, he said, hey, can I get a bite of your sta- sandwich? I remember it was a steak sandwich. And Steve was new to our school, he was new to the country, so he barely spoke English. And so Steve, what else could he do? He, he gives Danny his sandwich to take a bite, and Danny, I'll never forget this, his bite was massive. He goes, ah, and in one bite eats like half of Steve's sandwich. And my reaction by instinct, I, I put my hand on Danny because I, I kind of know Danny. I put my hand on Danny. I said, Danny, don't eat his whole, don't eat his whole sandwich. Then all of a sudden, boom. And it was like, I'm seeing like birds and stars, like everything was just black and and spinning. He knocked me in the head so hard, and he said to me, Don't you ever touch me again. And at that moment, the lunch lady saw it, and she came and pulled him away and and broke it up, and thank God she was there. But after lunch, a bunch of people came up to me, and they said, man, I don't know what you did to Danny, but he is not happy. And they all told me, he's going to look for you after school. Danny's going to look for you after school. And I'm telling you, for the next two periods, I could not think straight. I, could, I, I, I have no idea what my teachers taught those next two periods because all I could do was pray and beg God, God, protect me. God, please protect me. Don't let me die. I mean, there's this fear that, that came upon me because I felt threatened. Now, King Jehoshaphat in the Bible must have understood what I was feeling. Right, because it tells us in, in, in the book of Second Chronicles that some people came up to King Jehoshaphat and told him that the Ammonites and the Moabites were coming to look for him. 
the Ammonites and the Moabites. I'm scared of the kid who took a bite, but have you heard of the Moabites, the Ammonites? These are massive armies, strong and powerful people. And so 2 Chronicles 20 verse 2, it says this, Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hezazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he set his face to seek the Lord. Here's what he did. He proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. The people were desperate for God and for his protection. The Ammonites, the Moabites are coming for us. And the best thing they could do was to declare a fast and corporately seek the Lord in prayer. And what happened as a result of their fast and prayer? What happened? Well, we read in the rest of the chapter, King Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah were filled with courage. Their mouths were filled with praise the people of Judah stood up and that day they were undefeated in the face of adversity. They were undefeated because by God's hand they were protected. So what, thre what threat do you face? What threat do you face? Spiritual attack? Emotional depression? Genetic disease? Workplace abuse, COVID-19, like all of us daily, because we live in a sin-filled, fallen world, we're always faced with threats. All of us are subject to dangers of COVID. And these are all things we can come together and bring before God, asking for his protection if we would just pray for 21. And we're going to pray about COVID because all of us, are faced with this threat the moment we leave our houses. It's like walking into a minefield every day. I just read that one in three people in LA County, one in three people have been impact, directly impacted or directly infected by COVID since this pandemic began. One out of three. If there are three people in your household, one of you, chances are one of you have had, has had COVID-19. And chances are many of us will be infected. If there's a thousand people in our church, that means a few hundred people in this church have been directly infected or impacted by COVID. All of us needs protection. Who of us are exempt? And not just for our health, but also for our safety. As I mentioned earlier, things can get very intense this week in our nation, in our states. In our cities, maybe down our street, things can get violent and can get very ugly. And we've heard that federal and state and local law enforcement agencies are being deployed. They're being prepared for what could happen. They're preparing for the worst. But far beyond law enforcement and protection from, from authorities, we need to fast and we need to pray for God's intervention, for his mighty hand to surround us and protect us. We need God. Fasting makes prayer happen. And prayer makes things happen. Things such as moving the hand of God's protection. And so will you join us? Will you come together and will you cry out with us as we pray 
for 21. Cry out for his protection. So that's, those are ways or reasons or times when we can pray. Now here's the application. Here's the challenge. Once again, we want to challenge the church to pray for 21 days. 21 days we're going to pray for the year 2021 and what lies ahead. And if you haven't received the email from me already, it went out this week. But if you haven't, we want to provide for you a form to fill out so that you can sign up and register and be part of this Pray for 21 prayer and fast. If you're watching live, we'll try to provide it for you in the chat. Or you can go to our website and just click on the tile that says pray for 21. And you can register there. And as you fill out that form, I would love for you to indicate on that form something that you are going to fast. Something that you're going to abstain from or to give up during these 21 days. Now, Let's be practical and realistic. I don't expect you to give up food entirely for 21 days, right? Like Daniel, in the book of Daniel, chapter 10, he fasted for 21 days, but it was a partial fast. That means he gave up meats and sweets, but he ate vegetables and drank water. And that was his fast, and that was powerful, and that was pleasing to the Lord. So you're not expected to just stop eating for 21 days. So what is it? that you could give up on a daily basis that's going to help bring you into a place of prayer. Maybe it's one meal a day. Maybe it's two meals a day. For me, I think I'm going to give up lunch. I won't eat lunch. And if I have to eat lunch that day, then I'll give up dinner for that day. But what is it going to be for you? Maybe it's giving up sweets. Maybe you have a sweet tooth and, and, and giving up sweets is going to be something that will remind you to pray. Maybe it's, dare I say, Starbucks. Your daily Starbucks. Some of you are like, get behind me, Gregory. Right? Like, maybe it's that. But what, what do you crave on a daily basis? Maybe it's fasting from using YouTube or going on Instagram or Facebook for a certain window each day. Maybe from the hours of 3 p.m. to 10 p.m., you're just not going to go on YouTube or Facebook. Or, or maybe you, really, you want to go there and fast social media entirely for the 21 days to go on a total soul cleanse. I did that during my sabbatical, and that was so rich and so powerful for me. What are you going to give? Maybe it's giving up online shopping. I'm not going to go on Amazon, or I'm not going to shop, because that's something that you, you, you tend to do every day. At least you go and browse. Maybe that's going to help you stop and be reminded how much we need the Lord more. So what will you give up? Let us know on the form. And here, here's, here's the reminder. The purpose of this 21-day fast isn't to punish yourself so that you can make your life miserable. And the purpose of this fast is not to see if you could make it through the 21 days, if you could press through and endure, and if you could go without giving in to the things you love. That is not the purpose. The purpose is not to test your willpower. That is not the measure of success. A successful fast is this. Were you able to devote yourself to prayer? Did you draw nearer to God? Did you feel more desperate for him? Did you have greater dependence on him? That's what this fast and prayer is about. Fasting makes prayer happen. And prayer makes things happen. The purpose is to remind ourselves to pray. So when you start craving that Starbucks, Start praying. 
When your stomach is crying out for food, take that moment to cry out to God. When your eyes want to look to Instagram, turn your eyes upon Jesus and look to him. Fasting is not the focus. Prayer is the focus. That's where power is. But fasting makes prayer happen. And prayer, we know, makes things happen. So church, will you join us? Will you pray for 21? For the next 21 days, will you help us to pray for this coming year? And when you sign up on that form, you're going to notice a few things. We're going we're gonna to give you a few tools. For one, you're going to get a link to our Zoom prayer gatherings, which we're going to do for the next three weeks, starting this weekend. Every service, after every service, we're going to have a Zoom prayer gathering. The pastors will be present. Staff will be present. We invite you to come and be present. And so you're going to get one link. It's going to be the link for, same link for every prayer meeting, so you don't have to look for all these different links. It's the one single link. And we want to invite you to come and pray with us. And if you don't feel comfortable praying out loud, that's okay. You're not required to pray out loud. But you can pray silently and pray in the spirit as other people may feel led to pray out loud. But come and join us for the rest of January, for the next three weekends. Another thing you'll be getting when you sign up, you'll be getting a prayer guide. A Pray for 21 prayer guide where we have a calendar of topics to pray for. Each day we'll give you one thing to pray about. So you could download that prayer guide. And then also on that registration form, you can let us know if you want daily reminders. We'll send you a text or an email reminding you that day of what to pray for. And I want to encourage you, find an accountability partner. When you sign up on that form, there's a place where you can write down the name of a person that you hope to ask. And it'll be on you to go and ask them. But do this with somebody. This is a good thing to get encouragement and get support. And so when, when, when you guys decide to keep each other accountable, when you get that daily prayer reminder, maybe text them a prayer for that topic. Have them text you back. Or maybe you could email the prayer out. Or maybe you can call each other and go on Zoom and pray together just for a couple minutes each day. But let's do this as a church. Let's do this corporately. This Pray for 21 fast will go for 21 days starting Monday, Martin Luther King Jr. Day which is January 18th, it's going to go all the way to February 7th, which is Super Bowl Sunday. What a great day to break your fast. But it's going to go from, again, January 18th to February 7th. And so, church, will you, will you pray for 21? Will you come together and cry out to our Heavenly Father along with us? There is way too much adversity for us to face. Yet we who are in Christ shall be undefeated. And these are the weapons available, fasting and prayer. Now I want to close. And, uh, you know, all message long, I've been saying this one thing over and over again. Fasting makes prayer happen. And prayer makes things happen. Now the question is, what happens? What happens? What changes when we pray? King David, man after God's own heart, as I shared with you that story, he laid on the ground desperate for God when his son was dying and he fasts and he prays for the life of his son, refusing to eat. And he goes before his son and then as he's praying for his son, begging for his son's life, something happens. What happens? What happens? 
His son dies. His son dies. After David had been doing this for seven days, his son dies. And so what does David do? He gets up and he rips off his robes and he shaves his head and he turns and he curses God. How dare you, God? I fasted and I prayed and I cried out to you so that you would do the right thing. How dare you? And he turns never to follow God again. No, 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 no. That's, that's not what happens. If you read that story in 2 Samuel 12, it says, after the seven days and his son dies, what does David do? It says, David gets up, he bathes himself, he washes himself down, he freshens up, he puts on some lotion and some, some oil and some ointment, and then it says he goes into the house of the Lord and he worships. And he goes and he worships a good, almighty God. <laughs> How does that make any sense? Even the elders of the house said, we tried to get you to eat and you wouldn't eat when your son was sick. But now that he's dead, now you eat? How is that possible? And here's how David responds in 2 Samuel 12, verse 22. David said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. See, something happened those seven days when David spent time fasting at the feet of not just his child, but at the feet of God. I believe something happened inside his heart that gave David a sense of peace, that helped him to come to grips with whatever the outcome might be, something happened that caused him to say, if my son dies, he's going to the presence of God. And when he did, he said, he is in heaven now, and I can't bring him back to me. I can't yank him out of heaven, but I will one day go to him, and my God is still good. See, something was happening. I believe what was happening was God was working on David's heart, working on David's understanding God was forming his heart and his faith to be more and more like his father's. He was going through this process of being made of a greater man after God's own heart. And in the face of the greatest tragedy that I myself as a father can possibly imagine, the loss of your own child, David stood undefeated. He stood in awe of a sovereign God. He was not defeated. See, prayer makes things happen. And when we fast and pray, pray, the thing that happens isn't that we change God, but God changes us. When we fast and pray, it's not that we change God, God changes us. That's what happens. So don't be surprised when you fast and pray, when your perspective changes, when your outlook changes, when your understanding changes, when, when your faith and your trust in God changes. As you fast and pray, the circumstances that you're praying for may change or they may not change. But what will change is your heart. Expect things to happen inside your own heart that will start to strangely resemble God's own heart.
Fasting makes prayer happen. And prayer makes things happen. So will you join us and pray for 21? Would you guys bow your heads right now? And that's what we want to do. We want to pray and cry out to God Almighty. And God, I pray that you would raise up your church. God, that you would stir in our hearts right now. Fill us with conviction. Fill us with the movement of the Holy Spirit to help us enter into this time together as one. That you would help us to be willing to give up whatever it is that our flesh loves, whatever it is our body needs, to be able to say to you, God, we want you more. God, more than anything this world can offer, we need you more. We choose you. We prefer you, God. And I pray that as we do this together as a church family over the next 21 days, that the prayer would go far beyond 21 days. God, that we would see blessing upon blessing in our lives, in our families, in our households, in our church, in our nation. God, we look forward with eager expectation, God. I pray that we would show up, and when we show up, we will find that you are already there. God, I pray that you would show us how powerful and miraculous you are. I pray that you would show us the generosity, how open-handed you are to provide for our needs. I pray that you would show us how strong your hands are to protect us when we feel threatened. God, I pray that you would build our faith and you would build our church. I pray for this coming week as Joe Biden is inaugurated and becomes the leader in place. If that is your will, then I pray, God, that we would continue to cry out to you as a nation, that you would use him, that you would move him, that you would work within him to lead well. God, we need godliness. And God, you provide godliness. Would you do that in our president, in our leaders? And God, would you continue to show this nation who you are? Help us as a church to shine bright. Help us to make Jesus known in our actions, in our decisions, in our words. And I pray all of that would flow out of our spiritual devotion. God, thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.